Hi there. I have a question for you. Do you know what an acupuncturist is or even what an acupuncturist does? Well, this episode gave me a much deeper understanding of this profession. At times during this episode, I could almost visualize what it's like to place an acupuncture needle. That's how descriptive sometimes this episode will be. And it is one of those occupations where the patient and the acupuncturist see immediate results. How is that? Well, let's listen further. Okay, let's cue the intro. Hello, and welcome to Health Careers with Dr. Marn, where we have deep, personalized, and eye-opening conversations with various people in healthcare. We learn what it's really like to work in different health careers from people who are living it today. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Marn, and welcome. Hello and welcome to another episode of Health Careers with Dr. Marn. On today's episode, we're going to meet Bianca Belgini. She has been working as an acupuncturist for well over 15 years. She first started her journey at NYU College as a pre-med student, but she eventually transitioned into a physical therapy career. She went into PT school in the Netherlands, which is an interesting story that we're going to get to hear about. After that, she worked for several years as a physical therapist. She then went on to Tri-State College of Acupuncture in New York City to get a degree in acupuncture. Since that time, she has gotten degrees in oriental medicine and also finished a doctorate of physical therapy. She also obtained a certificate as an aromatherapist and is a holistic health coach. Over the years, she has been a faculty member of the Tri-State College of Acupuncture. She is also the founder and owner of several businesses, such as the Beldini Physical Therapy, Sundala Wellness, Trigger Point Seminars, and Sundala Wellness Coaching. Over the years, she has taken care of many celebrities, athletes, and dancers. She's been featured in many articles, magazines, TV shows, and most currently her own YouTube channel and TikTok. On those platforms, she has been creating some really creative videos, but all things related to health, wellness, fitness, and acupuncture. Bianca has definitely been successful in running her business and marketing, but that's because she has been phenomenal at treating patients. Let's meet Bianca. All right. Well, hey, welcome, everybody. Uh, I'd like to welcome Bianca to our show. How are you doing? Hey, how are you? Look, I'm so happy you are guests uh, with this podcast. Um, as you guys know, Bianca, oh, as you may not know, uh, I've known Bianca for, I don't know, what, over a decade now? Yeah, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I got to say, I, I'm so happy here because, so happy you are here because I, I love what you do. I'm a big fan. In fact, um, uh, when we met, I was a patient of yours. That's how we actually met. That's right. And... I came to you because I was looking for acupuncture treatment. I thought you were wonderful and professional, and um, I thought it was just a great experience. Great. Um, and I don't know if I told you this, but I actually went to another acupuncturist <laughs> before no. I met you. <laughs> was it before? Okay. Yes. At least it was before. No yes, it was before, for me. sure. <laughs> um, and, but I just did not like their style and their technique 
or the mm-hmm. effective or effectiveness. Right. But I was really liked how af- when I had treatments with you, I actually fell asleep during mm-hmm. your treatments, and it's just such an awesome feeling. So, but before we get into you explain a little bit of how and why that would happen. Sure. I would really like to learn uh, and and tell everyone what exactly is an acupuncturist because that's how I, I, I um, approached you as your occupation, even though you're doing a lot of other things, you know, what is an acupuncturist and and what is that and what are your responsibilities? So, I mean, this is a a big question because I think (laughs) acupuncture covers a lot of stuff. It's, it's, it's really, you know, it's an ancient, an ancient medical art, the way I like to think of it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's over 5,000 years old. Um, but it's in, in our modern society kind of bridges the gap between when a patient can no longer utilize Western medicine, i.e. drugs or, you know, ways to get out of pain, um, and and they search for a, a more holistic, really ancient philosophy of treatment, but it's this really interesting way that it bridges the gap between the two. So, you know, acupuncture is the act of utilizing needles, very small needles that are probably um, as thin as a hair, uh, and you insert them into areas, what we call meridian points. Mm-hmm. And those meridian points are very specific to different organ systems of the body. So the way I like to describe it is when a patient comes in, they give me their kind of list of symptoms. And then I choose very specific points to shift and change their body so that we could press the reset button. Because my belief system is, you know, when we're babies, we kind of don't have any trauma yet, right? We don't have any issues yet. As we get older and we deal with more traumas, whether they're emotional, physical, mental, we start to build up walls and build up resistance. Hmm. And when you come to see me, it is my job then to figure out where all of those dams have been placed so that I can actually insert a needle into an area to release that tension, to release that dam, so things start to flow better. So it's a very that's different approach. That's my interpretation approach. of acupuncture, yeah. Because as, phys- phys- as a physician, that's not how we are taught about the body, not, not mm-hmm. typically. Right. And is this, so this is derived more from... Um, um, an Eastern or or Asian background? Is that where yes. a lot of this yes. is coming from? Yes, and that's where it came from. It's, I mean, for the most of us, um, you know, when we are schooled, we are educated in what's known as traditional Chinese medicine, TCM. And that's something that, you know, we have to learn as the basis of our studies because, and we probably will get into this later, but at the end of our education, we have to sit down for a national uh, board exam, and it's based on traditional Chinese medical protocols, philosophies, basis, diagnostic principles, and it's very unique to this particular medicine. So, so you actually you actually had to take a, a exam before you could actually start practicing. 
this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a pretty grueling exam. It's months to to, to study for. Um, it is uh, incorporate some states actually incorporate a practical exam as well um, in front of um, physical examiners as well as sitting down for many, 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 many hours asking you questions about, you know, the very specifics around why you choose the points that you do or what protocols would you use for X, Y, and Z. So, yes, it is, um, it's a pretty involved exam. And, and, and that is what will get you licensed. I see, I see. So <clears throat> when you're, um, you know, obviously you're, you're using very fine needles, very small yeah. on patients. So... What what is your how does that look like? I mean, what is your day typically like? Because you know, obviously, the idea of <laughs> uh, putting needles on a body uh, mm-hmm. is uh, maybe kind of uh, anxiety pro- um, uh, very ang- make people very anxious, of course. Sure. So how how does that that happen um, in terms of, of of making people feel comfortable when you first see them um, and and what you kind of tell them before you even start? Yeah, I mean, again, another loaded question because most patients, many new patients that I see come to me and the first thing out of their mouth is, just want to let you know, I'm totally freaked out by needles. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's okay, so am I. I don't like <laughs> hypodermics either, right? Uh, so that's, that's the dif- difference. I think most people have a representation of needles as a hypodermic needle. That's going into your, you know, muscle or that's going into your vein for a blood draw. And the the difference between the two is that hypodermic needles are hollow and they're serrated versus an acupuncture needle, which is literally as thin as your hair and it's solid. So when it goes into the, to the tissue, you don't feel anything. It doesn't serrate the fascia. It doesn't serrate the skin. It doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't create trauma like a hypodermic needle would, that, so which is why you don't typically bleed when you take the needles out. So you're saying people don't even feel it going in when you initially do it? Correct. Right. It's a very quick tap that gets the needle into the, into the acupuncture point. Um, and, and it's the, the act of needling itself. So there are really hundreds of techniques that an acupuncturist can do to that very needle to facilitate how they want the patient to feel. So it's very intricate. And and what's very interesting is that when I was a teacher at the college, I would watch so many students needle. Mm. And it's really a very refined technique. And that's how you make it not hurt. When you... Um, when a patient says, "Hey, listen, I've, I've uh, when you have a patient come to your um, your office and mm-hmm. your your facility, can you walk us through what typically happens when they first come in, and sure. and what you're actually doing, and what you maybe what you talk about, and then what you do for them?" Yeah, so you know, I I specialize in orthopedic myofascial pain disorders or symptoms. Um, I do have a subspecialty in women's wellness mm-hmm. and digestion and in your typical organ dysfunction patterns. But the typical patient of mine is very orthopedic, myofascial pain oriented. So when that patient comes in, 
And, we and typically, Bianca, when you say myofascial, just because some people may not understand what that means. Sure. So myo being muscle, fascia being the kind of connected tissue or saran wrap that covers muscle tissue. Got and it. this is something that I actually tell the patient well, so I can kind of give them a visualization of what I'm going to be doing. So if anyone's ever, you know, cleaned a chicken breast, um, excuse me if there's vegetarians out there, <laughs> yeah. um, but if you've ever cleaned a chicken breast and you've noticed this kind of white, um, dense, packed tissue that kind of sits around the, the meat of it, that's, that's fascia. And fascia is very similar to like saran wrap that covers muscle tissue. So myofascial, meaning the fascia, that saran wrap that covers the muscle tissue. So the, the type of treatments that I use are acupuncture to stimulate the uh, blood supply as well as the lymph to move, um, but also to release the tension that that fascia, that saran wrap has around the muscle itself. So my typical patient that comes in is the professional dancer mm -hmm. or the professional baseball player or the, you know, uh, competitive triathlete, the runner, the marathoner. And when they come to me, it's usually with a very specific complaint, such as something like, um, every time I run, um, I have extreme calf pain, or I have pain on the bottom of my foot, or if I see a dancer, you know, maybe it's something like I have a hamstring pull. And that's my very specific caseload of patients. So when they come in, they're quite educated because they're at a level where they really understand their bodies and they need their bodies to work. Um, so I may get a professional pitcher that comes in and says, you know, I'm going to the World Series and I need to get on the mound. So mm -hmm. I can't move my arm. We need to get this arm moving. So <laughs> if that new patient comes in and says, you know, I have, um, you know, calf pain, well, what I'll do is I'll get really detailed in my questions with them. So, you know, what very specific movements can you reproduce your discomfort? Is it going uphill? Is it going downhill? Is it when you, you know, is it what kind of shoes are you wearing? What kind of sneakers? How often do you change them? So I'm really getting in touch with as much as we can to hone in on what their issue is and functionally breaking down where we can find their biggest discomfort. And then from there, I'll take them through a series of movement patterns. And then from there, I'll be able to dis discern what muscle may be not firing or over-firing or really the biggest issue that they're having. And a lot of times it could be something like they're suffering from heel pain and I won't even needle their heel or even touch their foot, but I'll evaluate the structure and their biomechanics of their foot and actually find that it's coming from the calf. So it's this very intricate way of kind of evaluating someone's biomechanical movement and then using my needling technique to release the tension 
in that chain to help them have a decrease in pain. So you actually spent uh, at least a first appointment going and reviewing their basically like a physician's office, yes. their history and physical uh, yes. history, and and they're also doing a physical before yes. you even apply any needles to absolutely the patient. Absolutely. So my first visit is typically an hour and a half, and that oh, first half an hour is true one-on-one, just talking. Because if I don't understand where their breakdown is coming from, I'm going to be a rat in a wheel. I'm not going to really be able to get it. So the more that they can have a conversation with me, the more it's going to allow me to understand and really be like this great, like I call myself like the biomechanical FBI agent, (laughs) right? Like I'm really searching for where their biomechanical movement breakdown is occurring And then can I take my knowledge of anatomy, physiology, and movement, and and kinesiology, the study of movement, and then can I fit that into their dysfunctional pattern at that moment? Do you – so after you you kind of evaluate them and you say, okay, I I can isolate it to this particular area. Yep. What happens then? What's the – how does – what does a treatment look like if you could – visualize it for the people that might be, you know, are there listening. Sure. So let's just give an example of somebody with heel pain, right? Like the runner mm-hmm. with heel pain or Achilles tendonitis or, you know, um, let's just, let's use, use that example. So um, after I've gone through history, then I have them do a series of movements. And then for me to kind of evaluate all the joints that are related to their movement patterns. I figure out which movements are dysfunctional and then I get them on the table. And once I get them on the table, for instance, somebody with foot pain, I may have them face down and then I put my hands on them. And this is all before needles happen. So I'll put my hands on them. And really what I'm checking for is the integrity of their tissue. Mm -hmm. What does their muscle tissue feel like? Is it tone? Is it flaccid? Right? So flaccidity is, you know, do they not have a lot of muscle tone, right? Is there, is there weakness in their muscle tissue? Um, is there pain, right? I mean, I want to touch along that area and see where exactly are you feeling pain and can I reproduce it? Can I reproduce it just by touching it? Or is it just a matter of, is it reproducible by movement? So those things give me clues. And then I kind of get my hands on them. I'll do a little bit of manual work on them so that what do you mean by that so put my hands on them and and maybe massage the area maybe gua sha the area oh, so okay. uh, gua sha in chinese medicine gua means to scrape and sa means to like move stagnation so like i said earlier the fascia that saran wrap when the muscle tissue is irritated it will swell a little bit in the saran wrap and it won't allow fluids or uh, blood to to move between those two layers, and that too causes inflammation. That too causes pain. So if I can start the treatment with a supple tissue, it's going to make the tissue better, and it's going to and the patient's going to be able to handle the treatment better. So I, it's almost like prepping the the muscle, prepping the tissue for me to now come in with a needle. Okay. So once I do all that. And I see where, you know, their biggest issue is and where, where the tissue needs to be most 
you know, most TLC there. Then I'll explain to them what's going on. I'll say, okay, here, we're going to start the needling process now. So I, I sometimes show them the needle. I'll, I'll ask them and I'll say, would you like to see what this is before I start? Some say yes, some are quite inquisitive. Some say mm -hmm. no, absolutely not. I might feel like I'm going to pass out. I'm like, that's okay because <laughs> you're already laying down. <laughs> and um, so then I, I'll swab the, the points uh, just to you know clean, clean the skin. And then I'll take the needles out and I'll insert them. And I'll insert them into very specific points. So I don't just do... Uh, myofascial release technique with my needles, but as an acupuncturist, I also support their system. So before they come in, they've filled out a form. It's yes. probably about 10 pages long, and it asks a lot of questions beyond why they're coming in, including digestion and sleep. For women, it's menstrual cycles, you know, um, libido, uh, everything from how much water do you drink to any organ system. And then what I'll do is after I've read that and when I'm about to insert the needles, I'll put points in, very specific acupuncture points to support their underlying root cause. So in Chinese medicine, we say that there's a root and there's a branch treatment. So I'm treating their root system, their organ dysfunctions, as well as treating their myofascial pain issues. So they're kind of getting a twofer. Are, is there always in um, – so if they come with a heel or lower leg problem, is there mm -hmm. always an organ that you find is correlated with that because you are trying to address this other organ system? Yeah, So and this is where it gets really complex in Chinese medicine. So, you know, something like the heel pain, if it's a bone-related pain, let's say a bone spur, then we're, we're working on the kidney meridian. Mm. Um, you know, if it's muscular, we're working on the lean meridian. Um, if we're working on pain, we're actually moving the chi or the energy of the liver. So yes, I'm, I'm not just treating the symptomatology of the actual pain discomfort, but I'm also working on the underlying factor of how can I support their bones? How can I support their muscle system? How can I support their fascia? And how can I dissipate any stagnancy that's causing their pain? Uh-huh. And so now you've, you've decided where you need to put the needles. You, put, you place mm -hmm. the needles while they're laying down, whether they're on their back or your stomach. Yeah. What, and how, how, long, and how long does that usually take in terms of placing these needles, and what happens after that? Right. So this is where it gets you know, interesting, too, because I can insert the needles that are very specific to their root cause. So if it's, like I said, if it's a spleen, a kidney, a liver, those are easy to place. What I do after I place those, I go back to the, the fascia. I go back to the muscle system that I think is causing their biggest issues. And it could be just typically more than one muscle because biomechanically, I look all the way up the chain. Mm -hmm. So let's just say somebody that has a foot issue, I may release the calf and then the hamstring and move up to the glutes and the low back and start to really see how there's fascial connections between, you know, really the head to the foot, right? Because we're one mobile unit. You can't move one part of your body within, without the other part of your body, wherever it is up or down the chain, contracting or stabilizing or mobilizing. So 
once I put those acupuncture needles into the, to the points for the organs, I go in now to the muscle tissue. And what I do is I'll palpate or I'll feel for areas of constriction in the fascia, in the muscle. And usually I get a confirmation by an area that feels ropey or tight. Some people can, you know, connect to it like, oh, I feel like a knot in my tissue. It feels like a big lump. And usually that's a confirmation of what we call a trigger point. And that trigger point then is also quite tender when you press on it. And sometimes it's so tender that it can refer pain to either below or above the area of congestion. So this is where it becomes a little bit more time consuming because the technique of my needling completely changes at this point. So once I find this area and I'm palpating it or, 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 or touching it, strumming the muscle, I'm trying to facilitate something called a twitch response. And the only way that I can describe that for somebody that like doesn't have a twitch response at this moment would be kind of like if you've ever experienced like your eye twitching, <laughs> right? It's that mm -hmm. it's the, the twitchy, the, the twitchiness of a muscle. So when I touch the muscle and facilitate a twitch response, that is a confirmation to me that says there's an active trigger point in that area. Now, going back to when I evaluated them, already in my mind, I've said, all right, well, these are the muscles in the calf that can refer pain to the heel. And, you know, through experience, through education, through teaching, right away, I could just kind of name those muscles, just like you could name a medication that you need to give to a patient, right? Mm -hmm. So once I know that those muscles are indicated, I double check to see if there's a twitch response. Boom, there's a twitch response. Great, bingo. Let's insert the needle. I insert the needle and then into a very specific needling technique that's similar to like, like a tapping, but a, a, a non-rhythmical tapping. And what I'm doing is putting the needle in through the skin, through the fascia, to the muscle, kind of like where X marks the spot, exactly where they're getting that twitch response. And once I can connect to that myofascial bundle, that kind of hyperactive bundle of muscle activity, I get in there, put the needle in, and what we say, release that constriction. And it's, it's, it's um, like I said, it's a, it's a, a non-rhythmical movement of the needle. It's an in and out, up and down, non-rhythmical movement. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, I'm basically creating a tiny little bit of microtrauma in the tissue. I'm creating a histamine in a very focal area of that muscle. So the histamine increases blood supply. Blood supply brings in oxygen. So if you look at the biomechanics of the muscle itself that has a trigger point, it's typically hypoxic meaning it's been lacking oxygen. So it's been irritated and, and, and agitated and, and getting tight and inflamed. So if I can bring energy and circulation and blood and lymph to that muscle, to that trigger point, boom, it dissipates. And what happens when it dissipates and it's a huge confirmation is this like massive twitch response. And it literally like, it almost looks like the muscle just 
boom, and just mm-hmm. gives up. And it says, okay, you win. I'm relaxed now. And you can see an immediate change in the muscle. You can feel an immediate change in the relaxation response of the tissue. And what's, what it, you know, it never ceases. I've been doing this over 20 years. And when the patient has immediate confirmation of, oh my God, it doesn't hurt anymore. It is, it's like, you know, the, there's like the Tweety birds start going and the, there's, you know, massive bells and whistles going off in the room and, you know, it's just a huge smile and wow, I can't believe you just got rid of my pain. And, 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 and that's just the, the most amazing part of what I do, I think. And you that happens every day. <laughs> how does that, how does that, I mean, how does that feel at what you're doing when you see that Im- immediate result? What is that, what is that like for you? Uh, I, I honestly, there's really nothing like it. You know, I mean, I'm a competitive athlete and it's just about as good as running to a finish line. It's, you know, it's to be able to fully connect and be present with the patient that's on my table to fully connect and be present and have compassion for their limitations and their pain. And then to kind of help them help guide their body to a place where it doesn't have to be so contracted anymore. It's, 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 I really don't, there's kind of no words for it. it I mean, I've, I, it has brought me to tears before. Let's just put it that way. It really so has. You've actually been able to take care of patients where in one or a few sessions or that at the end of the session, you actually uh, see immediate relief and the patient actually feels immediate relief immediate. as well. Yes. Immediate, immediate. Absolutely. Can you give us an example or a scenario or an actual real life example without, of course, <laughs> any patient uh-huh. identifiers where sure. it really left an impression on you, like what you did, and even if it took a few sessions, what you did and, and what result, you know, what happened after that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest memories that I have of, of a moment like this, and, and, and mind you, these happen a lot. Um, and, and, and the more that, listen, I've been doing this for almost 20 years, so there's not a week that goes by that I don't have a patient in my office where this happens to, mm-hmm. especially like new patients where, you know, maybe they, they can't move their arm because they have frozen shoulder. And then I release, you know, the subscapularis, which is one of the muscles of the rotator cuff. And then all of a sudden they gain, you know, 30 degrees of external rotation in their shoulder and their eyes go wide. And it's so satisfying for me. But uh, I think the biggest moment that I've had in my career, I was, um, and she has become since, since then a very, very, very dear friend of mine, but she was um, a Broadway performer and she was in, um, they brought back a uh, chorus line and it was, she was, she started rehearsals and I had kind of seen her through rehearsals and she was, it was a very grueling show for her physically in her body. And she would have to do these high kicks. And through, throughout the whole time she was on stage, she developed some um, kind of micro trauma, micro trauma in her hamstrings. And, you know, she was saying like, I might need PRP injections and I might need surgery and so on and so forth. So the show was closing. That was a run of a few years, I think. And it was probably about two weeks before it closed. Uh, she called me in tears and said, oh, my God, Bianca, I don't think I'm going to make it to my last show. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I said, you didn't come this far to not mm-hmm. make it to your last show. 
and I will do whatever I can to get you to make it to your last show. So I was away for the weekend. I think I was up in Saratoga because at the time that I would go to Saratoga um, with the New York City Ballet and and treat them during the summer there uh, for a few weeks when they were performing. And I left Saratoga early, came home, and uh, it was a Sunday. And I don't usually work on Sundays, but it was her final performance. I think it was on Tuesday night. And I called her up and I said, listen, um, uh, you want to come here? She lived close by where, where I was living at the time. And she's like, you don't work Sundays. I said, well, I'm working this Sunday because I, I want to make sure you get to your final performance. Mm-hmm. So she did. And she's like, Bianca, I have been stretching, rolling in PT. I, I, I just cannot lift my leg above you know, 90 degrees and and I I can't get on my final performance. And my agent said that we can just have a fill in and, you know, she broke down and I had so much compassion for her because she was, you know, injured during the show and she really, she was so looking forward to this finale. She was trying to get to the finish line. She was trying to get to the finish (laughs) line. Absolutely. My God. And God, do I have, I've just had so much compassion for that. So, she came over. I worked on her for three hours. Now that's not common. It's okay. not common at all. Um, but you know, I did everything I could with my hands, you know, with uh, the gua sha tools, with my needles. And finally, I said, "Okay, listen. The muscle released. I want you to get into a hot bath. I just don't want you to do anything for the next few days." So Tuesday morning, she calls me and she said, "Listen, I have an extra ticket." Um, I really love for you to come. I'm going to make it to my last show. So I showed up with her then husband and I watched her final performance on that stage. And I don't think I sat in that audience. I, I, without tears running down my face for the entire two hours she was on that Mm. stage, it was so, it was just, it, it was not just like this confirmation of her experience of pushing through this, you know, comfort zone and the injury that she had, but it was also such a test testament to how powerful um, this particular work is and, and, and how, and how it transpired. So for me to be part of that journey with her was, yeah, I, I get choked up thinking about it. <laughs> And and obviously you you were very you were very empathetic, very sympathetic. Yeah. But your technique of acupuncture as a tool, you think got her to that point yeah, where she absolutely. could perform. Absolutely. Is there? Um, you mentioned it briefly how she was thinking about surgery. Is yeah. is acupuncture you find has helped people avoid it? or even just delay it? Is that, sure, is that something absolutely. that acupuncture has been, you found to be helpful? Yeah, you know, and it's really interesting because I started my career as an acupuncturist after I was a physical therapist. So I, this was back in my to early 2000s. And I remember uh, kind of canvassing all the docs that I knew, that oh, the ortho docs that would refer patients to me as a PT. And, you know, to get them to understand this myofascial trigger point release 
um, and how it could really help their patients. And what happened along the way was I amassed many, many, many physicians that would refer patients to me. And, and what's really neat is when the patient comes in, they'll say, you know, Dr. So-and-so wanted me to see you first before they scheduled surgery because they thought maybe you can help me. With acupuncture. And that's, yeah. And, and, and honestly, another, another like big plus for this medicine, because it's a way for us to, as practitioners, you know, of, of, of acupuncture to be instead of the last place that patients go to, it's becoming kind of the first or second line before they even consider having surgery. Is there um, parts of your uh, job and career that are a bit not exciting, a bit mundane? Sure. You know, just like <laughs> just like any other medical professional, right? I mean, note writing and the incessant, you know, note taking. It's it's yeah, you know, every little detail, every little thing. It, it can get really monotonous and tedious. So sure, you know, when, when if, you know, if I'm treating 50, 60, 70 patients in a week, I'm also writing 50, 60, 70 notes. Mm -hmm. So it's not just my time face to face with the patient, but now it's also, you know, at the end of my day or on a Friday or on the weekend, you know, I use a, an electronic um, medical record software system. So it's on my computer. So, and it's a, you know, HIPAA regulated software system. So it's, you know, it's encrypted and, um, and so on and so forth. It's not like taking right. home a chart. Right. Um, but, you know, when I used to work at the hospital, uh, you know, you'd stay writing charts for hours. Um, but, you know, this gives me the opportunity to say, okay, on a Sunday night, I can just sit down and finish my, my medical notes. But I think that's the worst of my job is the medical note writing. <laughs> Are there and, and how often do you, uh, on a typical day, how many patients do you actually take care of for acupuncture? Oh, I want to say on an average, fifteen to twenty. And that's a full day for you. And yeah, that's okay. like that's a, like an eight-hour day at least, or so. Yeah, I mean, I schedule. I you know because I own my own practice, um, I work from twelve until eight. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I work four days and I work 12 to 8. But um, I don't give myself a lunch break. I don't give myself a note-taking break. Like, no, it's on. I'm there to treat patients. So it's not just, you know, 32 hours of treating patients, but tacking on all the, all the you know, excess stuff right. like note taking and stuff it could be about 45 to 50 hours a week in total you you mentioned that you have your own uh place and practice which i know about but is that mm -hmm. the usual venue for people that are doing acupuncture as a career that they're working on or are they working institutions or what's the different venues that people can work in or or, or not yeah I, you know i think that because acupuncture is so uh, this kind of unfortunately standalone practice because I graduated so long ago, it was really our only venue. And I, you know, I remember being a second year student in acupuncture school and, and the teacher saying to us, um, there's 50 of you and only five of you will ever be full time 
five years out after you graduate. And I was like, whoa, that's a crazy statistic. Sounds but pretty competitive. Very competitive. Um, and I just was like, well, he's obviously talking about me because I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a success out of myself. And, you know, I mean, luckily I did. And, and there's plenty of um, student colleagues that I had in my class that no longer practice. And it's, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, you pay a lot of money for your education and the, the competition, especially in New York City, is, you know, just gotten more and more dense. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a hustle. And, and when you own your own practice, you have to be constantly out there, you know, marketing yourself and learning new ways of getting out there and learning new ways to connect. And um, so, yeah, I think to answer your question, where does one work? Um, unfortunately, you don't see many hospitals that have it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, it's, it's really one of those professions that you have to make it happen for yourself. I see. So it's not like you're, you're often, as acupuncturist, you're affiliated with the institution where they're referring patients to you usually or um, some other medical practice. It's everybody, uh, in some way, it's kind of like your own, uh, your own business. Your own practice. Yes, a hundred percent. You know, it's a hundred percent my own business, and and I wish, looking back on it now, I mean, I'm in twenty over twenty years, but um, I wish that I I took a business class. Like I wish that I understood more about how to run my own business and 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 how to how to work finances the right way, um, you know, an accounting course or things like that. Because I think for now, you know, kids that are in high school and college and stuff, it's more normal for kids to want to be entrepreneurs at this point than it ever was when we were growing up. And certainly when our parents were growing up, because everyone worked for a corporation. So it's, we're, we're moving into this more independent dynamic of working. I mean, you know, what we're dealing with now, even with uh, quarantine and whatnot, it's like, you know, there's a lot of us that are small business owners. And it's a very difficult time for us. So it's really learning how to keep yourself financially afloat when times are not so flourishing. So if, if uh, with that in mind, Bianca, I mean, you mentioned learning some business skills, but are there any other qualities or other skills or even just a, a mindset of your, of a colleagues that flourish in your career? And you've kind of alluded to it already, but could you kind of um, describe it in more? What what allows someone once they're in this field? What allow? What do you think allows some people to succeed and some not to? This is an interesting question too. I think also because I've been a teacher, uh, you know, a teacher at, at the acupuncture college. Um, I think um, you know, from a very emotional perspective, I think compassion is really one of the most important things. Uh, I think social skills are probably even more important. You know, I've watched, I've had students that came to intern with me and, you know, to watch them interact with patients, sometimes it's awkward. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, their, their social skills are awkward. Uh, maybe because I'm standing there as their teacher, you know, obviously there's a little bit of... Um, you know, they could be a little intimidated, which I get. Uh, but I think one of the biggest things, and really this goes across the board in any medical profession, 
you have to be a good listener. And if you're not a good listener and you jump the gun and you, you, you put words in someone's mouth, you could miss the diagnosis completely. And, you know, those are, those are skills that either you have or you don't, but hopefully maybe you could learn them. You know, I think it's constant assessment of, you know, is the patient getting better? And is it because of the patient? Because maybe they don't necessarily want to get better, right? Because people do have attachments, emotional attachments to their physical pain. Mm. Um, or... Is it something that you're new, you're doing or you're missing the boat? You know, I've had I've had students in my office where I, you know, have them kind of have conversation with my patients and they would, didn't let the patient talk. And I'd be like, wow, they are missing every opportunity to find out what's going on. But they're so focused on what they have to say that they're missing the patient completely. So I think those are what ma- that's what makes a successful practitioner, and I don't think that really falls in just the acupuncture category. You know, I've, I've seen plenty of doctors that don't talk, that don't listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, when as a acupuncturist, are there avenues to? Um, uh, is it are there other opportunities that that are available to someone in acupuncture that they could consider going into? Uh, much like an internal medicine doctor can go into cardiology or or um, pulmonology. Uh, is there something like that with acupuncture? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, uh, and, and once again, it's very interesting because we're all educated on this very basis of traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, but what's interesting is that depending on the school that you choose to go to, uh, you know, independent um Acupuncture colleges are pretty independent of one another. So even though they all teach the basis, they also have offshoots of specialties. So somebody might resonate with a Japanese acupuncture style Mm -hmm. and start to be, you know, really honed in on how do acupuncture, uh, Japanese acupuncture works. And it's, it's, quite different in using, you know, different gauge needles and different diagnostic tools. Um, Somebody might be more of a, what we call five element approach. And that's this more psycho-emotional aspect. So each organ system has to do with a different emotion. And depending on how somebody comes in, you know, an acupuncturist that, that, that works in that realm might say, well, they have heel pain because they're dealing with, you know, X, Y, and Z emotion. And treat it that way. You know, the, the beautiful thing about, you know, this medicine is that we are a whole unit. We are mind, body, soul, right? We can't separate it, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you just can't. Like, just, it's that kind of psycho-emotional piece, right? Where, and I've felt it before, right? I mean, I'm a competitive triathlete. So when I have an injury, it makes me bummed out, right? Well, it makes me sad. It makes me emotional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you can't separate the physical body from feeling emotions around it. So that's what's so unique and, and, and so cool about this profession is that you can treat from all these different ways and, and you can specialize in those things. You know, there's, you know, those that specialize in women's health and fertility issues. You know, there are herbalists that really believe in 
supplementing the root system with Chinese herbology. You know, whereas, you know, myself, I, I went through the herbal program and, and, and did my years in my in the herbal in the herbal pharmacy, but I'm non-compliant when it comes to taking anything. I don't I don't really even take vitamins very, you know, with much mm-hmm. compliance. So I would be it would be a farce for me to say, I need you to take this, you know, X, Y, and Z herb when I I can't even do it. And that to me doesn't feel right. So I, I, my medicine is such a reflection of, of who I am as a person and, and, and my efficacy. Was it, you know, as someone who, um, who grew up in a very um, uh, westernized type of thinking in terms of medicine, is it hard for someone to pick up this career and this occupation? Because it's, it's a very different approach to how you look at health and sure. wellness and the b- person's body, um, especially if you grew up in this co- in the United States. Yeah. And yeah. how how did you? I mean, how did you even get interested <laughs> in acupuncture and and saying, okay, I'm going to go with this route? Because you also said you were a physical therapist. How did this all start? Yeah, for you? yeah. I mean, I was strictly indoctrinated into our Western medical mindset, one hundred percent. You know, I. I you know, I was a, I was an athlete in high school. I I went to NYU undergrad. I swam for the swim team, and I was pre med. That was my track. Were you ath- and, you're also do triathlete too, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a triathlete. Yes. So, uh, but I, I I swam collegiately. So, um, but you know, my as you know, right? Pre med is especially at a, a place like NYU. Your um, you know, your your caseload is 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 ginormous mm. and you know, physics, calc, chem, bio, lab, you're taking 20 credits in one semester and, and you know, you're, you're thinking, right? I, I, would, I would imagine it's almost like once you get to med school, it's like you can finally like Some have relief. a little reprieve. <laughs> um, but that pre-med course curriculum is really intense. So, I, you know, I was, I was on the pre-med track and um, I didn't, you know, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't come from money. So um, NYU was very expensive and I had to, ha- I, I worked while I was in school uh, and I decided to get an internship on top of my studies, on top of my job. And I wound up getting an internship at what was the old hospital for joint disease. Right. And I think that actually became hospital for special surgery. If I could, if I could make the connection and it was on 18th street down on uh, third Avenue, I think. And, um, I volunteered there and I happened to get put in the physical therapy inpatient rehab and I met the, 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 the PT, the gentleman that was heading the program and he kind of took me under his wing and I found myself like so enamored by what he was doing with these patients. And the first patient that I saw him work with, you know, had this halo, you know, right. you know, in his head and he had a traumatic neck injury and it was watching the halo is a this, frame, just so people know. It's a, it's a yes, metal frame that you fix to your head for right. uh, either a procedure or a study to be done. Right, and and he was he was healing, and they were trying to heal the bones, and and it was just this. You know, I was sitting there with my mouth open, like, oh my god, you're 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 gonna touch him, you know, like how is that? So I just was so blown away by how beautiful this man was in his ability to help these these people heal and 
right then and there, it single-handedly shifted my, my need to go to medical school. And that was it. And that's when I shifted gears. And I said, you know, wow, as an athlete, as somebody who moves my body and who could not imagine waking up and not being able to move my body, how can I learn the skill to help somebody heal? And that's where my journey began. So uh, you were actually pre-med and you had an aha moment actually in college (laughs) to go into physical therapy. Correct. And so what happened so, at that point? <laughs> yeah, so it was just kind of this really crazy thing because I wanted to take, I was pretty, you know, loaded up with all these credits. And, and I said, you know what, let me take some summer classes just to lighten the load a little bit. So I wound up taking organic chemistry and physics at uh, Keene University, well, it was Keene College at the time in New Jersey, it's now a Keene, Keene University. And uh, I met a guy in my, in my organic chemistry class his name was Gerard, and he said to me, oh, you're thinking about going to physical therapy. He goes, did you know that the American Physical Therapy Association has this pilot program, and they're working with this company that are sending students overseas to the Netherlands (laughs) to learn this kind of osteopathic approach to physical therapy. Mind you, I was like maybe 20 years old, and I was like, I I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) So at the time, I'm going to sound really old right now. There was no Google. There was no website. I had no computer, like nothing. I didn't have a cell phone, nothing. So I literally called the American Physical Therapy Association. I said, you know, I'd love to be, do you have a student membership? I wasn't even in PT school yet. I just was proactive and said, like, I'd love to get your magazines and really kind of get an understanding of what you do and and what it's like to be a PT. So the first, and this is all serendipitous, the very first magazine that came to my house was, uh, I remember laying on my bed, instead of like reading Teen Beat Magazine, I was reading the (laughs) APTA student membership. What does that stand for? American Physical Therapy Association. Got it. And uh, a student student magazine. And there was uh, a picture of a windmill and these three girls sitting in front of it. And the title of the, the, the title page was PTs overseas in Holland. And it was like, I felt this electric shock go through my body because this is what my friend Gerard was talking about wow. just a few weeks ago. You remember that, huh? It was, it was literally like divine intervention. And um, so I came to school the following day because, you know, summer school was like, Monday through Friday of organic chemistry from hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really intense. Yes. So I uh, got to school and said to Gerard, oh, my God, you know, I saw this article about these PTs and blah, blah, blah. And he said, listen, you know, they're, they're actually coming. The APTA is putting together this, you know, thing two weeks from now with this company. And, you know, do you want to go? We can go and you know, check it out. So I did. And they had us bring our resumes, you know, which was all of just our, you know, school records, because who had a resume at 20? And um, we, we got there. And and next thing I know, you know, they called me in for an interview and went for my interview. And this was August. And I was on a plane in January. To the Netherlands. To the Netherlands. <laughs> I didn't even know what, the, what, what they spoke. I, I mean, it was... It, 
you know, our, the World Wide Web was, was so, no, it was nothing yet. Right. So everything was so big and expansive. And so I got, I got there with 23 other American kids and I was there for close to four years. Um, I learned probably from the most brilliant minded osteopathic physicians and PTs about an approach to to physical therapy that was just very unique to that culture. And I learned a new language and I, it was really, truly, probably the best, most amazing four years of my life. So now that, that was my aha moment. <laughs> that's, but that was four years of physical therapy yeah. Um, uh, education. Yeah. You did not work there. I couldn't. No, because no, we didn't have a visa. I couldn't get a visa. Is that program still in, in place there? I think it's part of their international program. I'm really not sure. I, you know, it's been over 20, I graduated in 97, so it was 23 years ago. Yeah, and, so long time. and was acupuncture even on your mind at that time? No, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what it was. So in 97, I graduated, came back to the United States, moved back home uh, to New York, and wound up getting a job. My first job as a physical therapist at Bellevue Hospital. Yes. And uh, that was really an intense time. Um, I was treating everything from, you know, orthopedic outpatient to, um, you know, psychiatric to, you know, geriatric psych to the NICU to, it was being in the trenches. And that, and that was my first two years of being a, a PT. So it whipped me into shape. I saw things that I never wish to ever see again, uh, <laughs> you know, and really from more of like a psychiatric perspective, because that's very difficult medicine, especially when somebody you're rehabilitating someone and they're just, you know, psychiatrically not sound. Um, that was really tough. Uh, so from there, I still was not even knowing what acupuncture was on my radar, but the one thing that I didn't understand in our country at the time was how PTs didn't have direct access. Like if we were the ones that were the most educated in rehabilitation, why couldn't a patient just come to us? Why did they need to go through a physician as a gatekeeper mm. to tell the patient that they need to be seen by a PT? You know, most physicians, you know, even an orthopedic physician, like, they're great at surgery. They're great at, you know, doing things to help diagnose and, and, and give different treatment options. But they're really not that experienced in rehabilitation skills. If, we're the, if we were the, the ones most educated, why would we not have direct access? So I was at a crossroad five years as a PT, and I was like, this is not working for me. I want more autonomy. I want more independence with my patients. I know how to get them better, but I don't want to have to go through loopholes. So at the time I was like, okay, like, let me look into schools. And I was 28 at the time. So I was considering taking the MCAT. I was like, ah, maybe I'll just have to go back to med, you to were, go to med school. So wait, you were actually, you had been working for as a physical therapist for five years now. Five years, yeah. And now you're thinking about going back to school <laughs> yeah. so you could get more autonomy. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I and, see. you know, and, and gather more, you know, more loans and this and that. So 
uh, yeah, so I wound up going back to school. Uh, I wound up looking into schools and a, a very good friend of mine, he was a, an, um, he was an osteopath. He was here in the States and I was like, oh my God, an osteopath. That's like, that's like the perfect physical therapist. Like, you I mean I osteopathic physician? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, they know so much about rehabilitation and myofascial and, you know, and orthopedic conditions. And it was just, it just seemed like a perfect fit for me. So I was looking into osteopathy. I was looking into naturopathy. I was looking into all sorts of different things. And I was starting my competitive journey as a triathlete at the time. And I was on my um, triathlon bike a lot. And I was starting to experience a lot of neck pain. And that neck pain was causing some radiculopathy, which is, you know, this pain in the, in, in the arms mm-hmm. and numbness in my hands. And I was young. I was only 28. And uh, I went to a doc and I said, you know, can I get an MRI? Do you think maybe this is a herniation? And he's like, no, you're too young. Let me give you, you know, X, Y, and Z pill. And I just was like, no, I'm not, I, it's not my thing. I'm not, I'm not taking these pills. And uh, it just so happened the next day I walked into my office. I was evaluating a patient. They had neck pain. They had radiculopathy. They had numbness, pins and needles in their arms. And I said, out of the blue, I say this a lot to patients. What else are you doing besides what I'm treating you for? Who else are you seeing? What other practitioners are you seeing? And she said, oh, well, I see an acupuncturist. And boom, there was the aha moment number two. (laughs) And I swear to God, it was almost as if like I heard it in like echo. I was like, what? You're seeing what? Like, what? What is that? Like the where? You know, because I was in New York City. I'm like, the only acupuncturists I knew were like in Chinatown. And it was so foreign. It was so different. It was so like, no, you know, your underground hippies kind of went to acupuncture back Mm. in the 80s. You know, like you didn't, you didn't, there wasn't mainstream at all. So I was like, oh my God. Now at this time, there was Google. (laughs) So I went home that night and I started to Google search acupuncture in New York City. And I found two schools. And I said, oh, there's actually two acupuncture schools in New York City. This is fascinating. So I went to the one, and it was very medicalized. And it just wasn't for me. Like, everyone was walking around with white lab coats, and I just was like, oh, I just want more autonomy, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the other school, which doesn't exist anymore, um, really got me because the, the gentleman that owned the school talked about um, trigger points and myofascial release. And it was like, I was sitting on the edge of my feet because like, Oh my God, he's talking my language. He's, he's, he's saying that I could manipulate tissue with that. I do already with my hands, but I could do it more effectively and with a bigger outcome and a faster outcome with a needle. And that was it. So I decided they had a student clinic and I went to the student clinic because I said, well, I mean, I've never had acupuncture. So how could I be an acupuncturist if I've never had acupuncture? So I signed <laughs> up to go to the school and uh, I was worked on, you know, by a student team because, you know, it was like a student clinic. Right. 
And uh, I laid on the table and uh, they evaluated me and they said, okay, well, you know, it's clear that you've got trigger points in your upper trapezius, which is a muscle in your, you know, the top of your shoulder and your neck. And I'm laying on the table. I was so nervous. My eyes were closed. I was trembling. So I'm like, oh my God, it's a needle. You know, here I go back to thinking it's a hypodermic and it's not a hypodermic. So I'm having this whole like response and um, they put a needle in and all of a sudden I felt this like massive, like thump. And I felt like my whole shoulder just kind of like, like, like jerk or like move. And it was just like involuntary movement. And then my eyes were closed at this point and, and I said, why are you pouring liquid on my arm? Like that's what it felt like. And, you know, here they were students, so they didn't even know what I was asking them because they couldn't interpret what was going on. Like, what do you mean liquid? There's no liquid. We're not even touching you. Mm. And what's so fascinating, like I opened my eyes and they were kind of all like standing there looking at me. But I felt this like unbelievable, like warm liquid, like almost like filling my arm like you would like fill a sock. And I was like, oh, wow, feels really amazing. Like it's almost as if like my dead arm was like woken up again. Hmm. And so I had this like really profound moment and I got home from, from there and, and you know went to sleep that night and it was for about one year, I was waking up with, um, in the middle of the night with dead arm. So, you know, my, my, my arm would fall asleep because my neck was so tight yeah. and I would wake up and I, I would be almost like be woken up by a nightmare. Like your, your arm is dead, wake up. Yeah. And, uh, I went to sleep that night and it was the first night in one entire year that I slept through the night and I didn't have any arm pain. So I called the school the next day and I said, I, I, I don't know what happened yesterday, but it was uh, kind of like a miracle. And I need to, I need to know how to do this because this is, this is like, like massive wow factor. And, um, and that was it. And then I started my journey um, that September and, and the rest is history. Well, so you actually and experienced something that profound, um, profound that, uh, that yeah. said, listen, I want to be part of this. Absolutely. And there was no way I was not going to be part of it. There was just no way. Do you think other people felt that same way too? And that's how they got into acupuncture? You know, I, I do. I want to say yes. Uh, I want to say yes, because the majority of the, the, the colleagues that I went to school with, we all had a very similar, like, aha moment that brought us there. Because it's so not mainstream right i mean nobody thinks like hey i'm going to go to school to become an acupuncturist unless you've experienced it before mm-hmm. you know or unless like your parent is an acupuncturist or you know a cousin or an aunt or an uncle and 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 you know kids nowadays just don't have much exposure to that unless their parents are open to it mm-hmm. so how did um how uh, nowadays i mean Compared to when you were a student, is it just still two years for acupuncture school? No, 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 no. It's it's always been it's a three year acupuncture program, four year masters, which is what I did. I did a dual master. Four years. So yeah, so it was three years just for the acupuncture part. It was a combined two years on top of that. So I took my first 
year of herbal program in my third year of acupuncture school. And then the fourth year was all herbal. Um, but then I still had to take my board exam my, to sit for my acupuncture boards in order to practice acupuncture. So uh, now, though, because education is, you know, has, has just moved so quickly and there's so much forward movement with academia and studies and research that it's moving to a, uh, a doctoral program, just like physical therapy. You know, when I went to PT mm -hmm. school, it was only a bachelor's. That there was no, there was not even talk about masters yet. Now it's all an entry level doctoral program. Like there's no more um, bachelors or masters. I see. So how does in how does someone get into acupuncture school? What's the expectation of their the typical kind time commitment? Especially since you were training some students not too long ago. What's the right. uh, what's the education process and in, in you know what is that like? Well. You know, again, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is in a foreign language, right? I, you know, learning, just learning the pronunciation of, and, and understanding the Chinese, like, words and the characters, that, that's a whole process within acupuncture school, right? But another it's also, language. it's a whole other language. And then it's also a whole different way of thinking. Right. It's not linear. It's, it's, it's very um, metaphorical, but yet there's this like beauty to it and, and ethereal aspect of it. And you're learning, you know, the psychology and emotions and Chinese dietary theories and learning about, you know, the seasons and how they affect the body. And it, it's, if you want to, be a great practitioner, you need to dedicate 100% of your time to your studies. There's, there's no way around it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a complicated, complicated um, medical art, for sure. But in, ter uh, in terms of school, Bianca, what, mm -hmm. uh, it's still a four-year program now? Yeah, it's a four-year program. Well, although, I mean, I'm so out of the loop right now, it's also part of it is doctoral as well. So you can have your four-year degree where you get your dual master's, which would then be um, a master's degree of oriental medicine. Uh, it's an MSOM. Uh, but then on top of that, it's another, I believe, two years to get your DAC, which is a doctor of acupuncture. I see. And so or the, doctor of oriental the first four years, is that after college or that can be a college no, it's degree? after. Well, I believe that you need a bachelor's degree. In many states, you need a bachelor's degree in order to get into acupuncture school. I don't believe there are any states anymore. I think when I was going to school, maybe one state had an associate's degree to get in, but I don't think that's even the case anymore. That was so long ago. What do you think is like the sacrifice or ob um, or obligations you had to um, take on to achieve what you're doing right now? Because you did not take the the traditional path of, okay, I go no. to, you know, I'm going to go to school and then finish school and then just start working. You, right. you kind of went in and out of, of, of that, that yeah. uh, curriculum. How did, yeah. were there sacrifices that you think you had to make to get to where you're at? 
Yeah, I mean, I think because I'm so unique to my situation, especially going to school in Europe, um, you know, the sacrifices were huge, you know, missing family, not being able to work, learning a new language. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I think the sacrifice really is how much do you want to get out of it, right? You, and I'm a firm believer of what you put into something is what you get out of it. And, and, and that's with my schooling, my education. It's the way that I teach. It's the way that I prepare, you know, for my students. It's the way that I, that I work as, as, you know, competitive athlete. So, you know, the more you sacrifice, um, the more rewards you get, right? It's about moving past your comfort zone. It's not something that doesn't come easy, right? Because it's, it's so layered and it, it's a complicated system. But once you can unravel it and know it and love it and embrace it, you're going to be an awesome practitioner. Is there anything that you would have done differently, reflecting back on this since we're talking about it? <sighs> um, no. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm where I'm at because of what I've done um, I think I'm at a point in my career because of the choices that I made. Uh, you know, my only regret, and it's not even a regret because I somehow figured it out as a small business owner, um, I really be- wish that I would have taken more courses that, has, that would have guided me to understand owning a business in a better way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, after acupuncture school, um, I actually went back to get my doctorate in physical therapy, um, and I finished that, I think, three years ago. So that was a whole other sacrifice for me because I had to sacrifice being partially out of my clinic, not making money (laughs) so that I could then, you know, get yet another degree. But now I'm done. Now, now I'm done. I, I just can't. I, I, there's no more schooling. No more school my, for my, you. My brain. No, no. Um, you know, it's best for students to get a you know wide range of perspectives to make an educated decision. Sure. You know, such um, such as you know their career choice. Yeah. Um, what resources do you recommend that they look into, or listen to, or read about, or organizations to belong to, or you know venues to to attend? You know, with regard to what you're doing, which is not just acupuncture, but also wellness. Right. Um, you know, I think, gosh, there's, there's so much more out there than we ever had growing up. So we had to be super inquisitive and, 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 and get out there kind of on foot and, and call and, and be proactive about finding ways. But uh, I, you know, I think, you know, Google's always been our best friend in terms of research. I think that if we can, uh, you know, look into the, obviously the American Physical Therapy Association, uh, there's a, a, a acupuncture today, there's the National Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, the NCCAOM, it's kind of our big governing body for mm-hmm. acupuncturists. Um, you know, I, and, I, and I encourage students to, to, to get in and, and see if they can shadow maybe an acupuncturist, you know, see if they could sit down with one and, and, and have one maybe as a mentor. Um, you know, that's the way it, it, you know, acupuncture started as this 
what they call barefoot medicine, right? It just got passed on from generation to generation. So there's that very cool aspect of it being uh, sacred in a way, right? Where, where there's lineage there, right? Like what I might choose to do for points, somebody else that came from a different lineage might choose something completely different, but it works. So that's where connecting with the profession is so important. I see. You know, change is is constant, and um, you've kind of changed with the times. You, you went to PT yeah. school, even before that, you went to you were willing to go to Netherlands and PT school, and and um, you know, changing your perspective on what on wellness and and getting to acupuncture. You know, do you what? Exp- changes do you ex- you foresee in your career uh, maybe not f- specifically for you but your profession uh in in the next few years one year five years ten years from now especially in light of the pandemic that we're going through right now what what was you know what do you think would ha- will be changing because of that or um even besides that yeah, I, this is a tough one. I, you know, I don't really even know. I, medicine in general and the way that patients seek medical care has been changing so much just even in the last few years, uh, you know, with medical insurance changes and, 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 you know, Medicare is now hopefully going to be getting approved for, you know, acupuncture, which is just another gigantic leap to be able to treat that population because mm-hmm. they, they, they so could use it instead of being hyper, uh, you know, um, hyper drugged out, right. They're given mm-hmm. so many medications, uh, that having some sort of more natural approach to treatment. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that things change in that way that more people are able to, find it and access it. Uh, but you know, it's very, it's been very interesting with this, the whole COVID thing because, you know, acupuncture is a very physical art, right? Just Mm -hmm. so so is, you know, physical therapy. If you're a manual therapist where, you know, you help people heal by putting your hands on them, whether it's manipulating a joint or getting the swelling out of someone's knee or, you know, so on and so forth. So, what has changed again, you know, for me in particular is the use of, I'm actually calling it telewellness because, um, and it's been, I resisted it at first. It scared me at first, but it has kind of been this another very cool aha moment because I get to now see the patient in their home and we get to work on things that maybe I wasn't aware of. You know, I, I just recently did a tele, telehealth call with a patient of mine who's a drummer. And it's not like he could bring drums into my office. But he brought me out to his drum set. And it was <laughs> so cool because I was able to evaluate how he was sitting, you know, how he was moving his body. You know, I get to do ergonomic evaluations with patients. And, and you know, most people are sitting at their at their dining room table with like a laptop in a really, you know, weird chair position. So I was able to really change that in a patient. They were having neck pain and arm pain, and I was able to see the setup and get in there and be like, okay, we need to raise your screen. We need to lower your chair. We need to get your arms in this position. And he was like, oh, my God, my neck doesn't hurt just by changing the position. So I think what it's doing is it's giving patients and us more access uh, in a broader way, I think, and and 
and it's challenging the practitioner to really be able to think outside the box and to not necessarily have to rely on just their hand skills because this is a, a lifestyle medicine too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I want to treat, I want to show patients how to sleep properly. Show me your pillow. You know, let me, let me see how you're sleeping in your bed because you wake up every morning, you have pain. So clearly something you're doing in your sleep, is it your pillows? Let me see your pillows. So it's giving me a whole different outlook on a patient when I don't see them in my office. And it's been amazing. Do you um, anticipate that this will be um, stay with the with your profession for a while, this uh, telemedicine? I mean, I would imagine, uh, you know, but there's a lot of stipulations on it. So I don't know. Um, you know, I'm hoping that if a patient can't get to me, then they'll always utilize this as an option because it works so well. So, I, you know, I, I think I will be offering that now going forward as an option. Bianco, is there any way that in, inspired you or inspires you currently? Uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> question too. Uh, I want to say it's, it, it's, not, it's not one person, right? Um, I think the inspiration for me comes from every single person, every single patient that comes into my office. And I'm inspired by their story of how they're searching for their own healing. Because there's not one person that I don't come across in my office that doesn't have some sort of story that got them there. And then, and that to me is usually profound. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. Because even though we talked about acupuncture and you got you have a physical therapy degree and you also got your um, doctorate, but you do yeah. a lot of other things too Yeah. besides that. Uh, and I would only kind of classify it as wellness, but is there a better way to describe what you're doing right now in terms of how you help people? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it is. It's just like holistic wellness. Uh, so I do nutritional counseling. Um, you know, I went to a two-year program that uh, gave me a holistic nutrition degree. Um, I do, uh, I'm also a triathlon coach. Um, I have a specialty in coaching runners, uh, as well as, uh, U.S., uh, U.S. Masters swim certification. Um, I, you know, I'm kind of like, a the, the odds behind the curtain when it comes to my business. I mean, I run my website, I do my own marketing. Uh, I just recently, uh, started my YouTube channel. Um, I've been, you know, what this, what COVID has done for me is I came into this quarantine with the intention of showing up to continue to treat patients, even if I couldn't physically see them. So I was inspired uh, and I kind of wrote down in a, in a journal, in a notebook, how can I continue to treat patients? And how can I go beyond just treating one? So I started to develop kind of a video series of all the knowledge that I have, whether it's about, you know, physical ailments or fertility issues or nutritional aspects or, you know, running ideas, 
and I put that into a social media forum. And it's really interesting because I, I, I don't know if you know much about TikTok. <laughs> it's this kind of new, <laughs> new thing that's come out. I mean, it was like, from what I understood, it was like this teeny bopper thing. And I saw one of my PT colleagues post something and she had posted it to Facebook because we're antiquated now and that's what we use is Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, so she posted this thing on TikTok and I was like, oh my God, that's so brilliant because it's, you know, a thir- 15 second or 30 or 60 second clip that you can do. And I totally did this as like a social experiment for myself because I'm doing videos anyway. So why don't I just, you know, kind of chop them up and put them into a series of like health and wellness. And I have amassed as of today, 17,000 followers in 16 days. Nice. Very nice. And it's truly my intention was just about sharing my knowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's been very cool to see how many people willing that are willing to open up to this stuff. You know, you've you've uh, you seem to be a student of learning. Like you constantly want to learn not only about um, uh, you know uh, Western medicine, but also what we would say Eastern medicine. And yeah. you keep uh, and also you're learning about business and stuff. Um, are there any parting thoughts that you would um, provide a student interested in what you're doing? So, um, you know, I would say that it would be really important um, to, like, if they're looking really serious about looking into acupuncture schools, <clears throat> I would definitely suggest researching all the different schools and what their main philosophies are, um, whether or not they resonate with the student themselves. So it's very different where, you know, if you want to go to med school, you're pretty much going to get, you know, very similar medical education, mm-hmm. right? right? Whereas acupuncture school, like I said before, if you're really about learning physical medicine and myofascial release work, you might want to look into a school that has more of a heavy curriculum based on that. If you find that you want to go more into like the psycho-emotional aspect, you look into schools like that. So I think it really is important for the the student themselves to get super educated on the education that they're seeking, because that will then transform them into a better professional because they'll be more connected to that profession that way. Right. And there's great variability within acupuncture, it looks like, too. Great variability. Great, great variability. Absolutely. Bianca, uh, this was a fantastic conversation. I learned a lot. And I just want to say thank you. Thanks for, uh, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, and thanks for being such a cool, open-minded MD, because that's what we need more of in the world right now. Hey, I'm really learning about a lot of things <laughs> talking to everybody, so I, this is a very great, um, an eye-opening experience, and I thank you for sharing some of the moments with us. Thanks, Richard. You've been listening to Health Careers with Dr. Marn. Thanks for joining us on this episode, and if you want to find out more about Bianca, please check out her websites and contacts and social media. She can be found at 
her website, sundala.com, S-U-N-D-A-L-A.com, or Facebook, Sundala Wellness, S-U-N-D-A-L-A Wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S. She also can be found on Instagram at Bianca Beldini, that's B-I-A-N-C-A-B-E-L-D-I-N-I, and also TikTok um, under The Wellness Guru, T-H-E-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S Guru, G-U-R-U. And you can also go to Bianca's episode on my website. There you can also find her social media links and also how to get a hold of her. We have so many more valuable and wonderful guests in the lineup. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, what I want to tell you is for our next episode, we will talk to a pharmacist in Seattle. When I think of a pharmacist, one of the first images that I think of is a pharmacist at Duane Reed or Walgreens, Walmart, or CVS, someone basically in retail pharmacy. But next week's episode will show us there are many other opportunities besides just retail pharmacy for a pharmacist. So I hope you will tune in for next week's valuable episode. You've been listening to Health Careers with Dr. Mark. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe to this podcast. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. And if you know someone who's thinking about their career, please tell them about this podcast, Health Careers with Dr. Marn. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. And please go to Apple Podcasts and rate us or leave us a review. It's a great way to let other people know about the show. Or you can go to our website at healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Through the website, you can subscribe to our email list, contact me, let me know if there are any particular health careers that you'd like to hear about, and provide any comments on how this can be a better podcast for you. I'm Dr. Richard Marn, and thanks for listening, and I hope you will tune in again. Music